go to the word. To the word, but let's go to uh, Lord our God in prayer. Lord God, we thank you for this Sabbath day, this day to consider our ways, to consider our relationship with you, to consider that covenant which cannot be broken between you and your people. I pray, Lord God, that as we live together in Christ, as we work together in Christ, that uh, we may look for and that we may see Christ in one another. We know that any one of us may stumble, but Lord God, because we are one with Christ, because the church is the body of Christ, we cannot stumble. The church will be victorious. And we praise you for that. We ask that you might guide us this morning, open our eyes and our ears, that we might hear the truth, help us to walk in the ways of Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. While we're making our way through Philippians, I got given a a chunk today, all of chapter 2. Thousands upon thousands of sermons have been written on these first few verses. I wrote one myself back in 2013. Wrote a trilogy on uh, chapters 1 and 2. And uh, I was was tempted to dust those off and just reread them. (laughs) But this is a different congregation. We're in a different time. The most radical statement we've heard so far in Philippians is probably verse 121. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now if you're like me, you probably breathe a sigh of relief at those first two words, for me, for Paul, but maybe not for us, but maybe not for us. We, we like the idea of it. We may even admire the passion of it, but we're reluctant to make such an unwavering, uncompromising commitment ourselves. Hmm. You know, the NFL, well, it's Sunday. Yeah, the NFL is a worldwide enterprise. It has teams in many cities. Each team has coaches and players who engage in the sport of football. They each play by the rules. They compete so as to win the prize. Each team brands itself with a logo and a team name. They put it on their helmets and uniforms where everyone can identify and identify with their team. Each team member, both on and off the field, has a role to play. But over time, over time, teams change personnel. Players get injured or they grow old. A coach may not be successful, so the team hires a new coach, new players. But they remain the same team. They may change location, but they remain the same team. The sport may change some rules each year, but it remains the same sport. And it's sort of that way with the church. It's sort of that way with the church. There's a constant changeover of personnel, but our mission remains the same. The technology changes, as you can see. Sometimes it fails us. The technology may change, but our methods remain the same. The challenges change, but the message, the message remains the same. We'll see this in today's passage. The danger for any church, even ours, is that many are sitting in the stands, cheering on their favorite player or their favorite team, a MacArthur, a Piper, a Beg, instead of cheering on one another to love and good deeds. They're not on the field of play. They're not even serving on the sidelines. And the question we often ask is, how come? Why not? Why is that? Oh, they thank Jesus for their, I'm sorry, 
Why not? Well, they may believe that Christ bought them a ticket to heaven, but not a place on this earthly team. They believe that Christ promised to make his disciples fishers of men, but they doubt that Christ was speaking to them when he said it. So they become fans sitting in the stands instead of players on the field. Oh, they thank Jesus for their season ticket each Sunday at communion. And they enjoy the week's game. But when they leave the stadium, they return to their own life. For that person to live is not Christ. Instead, to live might be family. It might be career. It might be comfort. It might be ease. But not Christ. Consider that the stands aren't meant for living Christians. They're reserved for those who fought during their lifetime and now cheer us on from the heavenlies. Those believers comprise the great cloud of witnesses that we see in Hebrews 12.1. But as for us here on earth, you know, we're still in the fight. <laughs> we're still in the fight. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and forceful men lay hold of it. That's from Matthew 11.12, the NIV version. The only right one for that particular verse. Oh, did Bill say that? Yes, uh, but that's okay. You can get that out of the others. Let's review where we're at. Jason shared the importance of our fellowship in the gospel, being confident that God will complete the work. He has begun in us. He will complete the work that he has begun in us. It started with our justification through Christ's atoning sacrifice on the cross, as David was mentioning this morning. In Christ, we are declared to be perfectly righteous and acceptable in the sight of God. In Christ, we are finally and completely reconciled to God. Right? So, now what? Well, Paul longs that the church at Philippi might abound more and more in knowledge and in discernment. <clears throat> okay, but why? So they would be filled with the fruits of righteousness, the fruits of righteousness, which come through Jesus Christ, which come through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Again, okay, to what end? To what end? If everything necessary for our salvation was done by Jesus Christ on the cross, what else is left for us to do? Wolf opened up the need for us to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's one thing we can do. He described Paul's joy that his imprisonment had all kinds of benefits. Lock him up, you know, and all kinds of benefits flow from that. He was thereby given the opportunity to advance the gospel among the royal guard to get right into the palace itself because he had been arrested. His workload did not change, but his field of labor did. That happens a lot to us. The workload won't change, but our field of labor often changes. And in his absence, others stepped up to do the work. They boldly proclaimed the gospel without fear. Why not? Well, they saw that Paul was still standing. They said, well, if Paul can do it, I can do it. And so they stepped up to the plate and they proclaimed the gospel without fear. While some had perverted the gospel or used it for personal gain, even that was an opportunity to advance the gospel. Paul said in every way, this way, that way, whether in pretense or in truth, whether for good purposes or not, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice, Paul says. That's Philippians 1.18. So that's the work. That's the work that we've been called to. That's our work. 
Justification by grace alone through faith alone is what unites us to Christ as branches to the vine. That's when the work begins. <laughs> That's not when it's over. His work is over at that point. Is it? Or has he gone to the throne to intercede on your behalf from now to eternity? He has. That's when the work begins. Sanctification by faith, where we put to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit. That's Romans 8.13. Prepares us for the work we're called to do. That's not an end in itself. It's a means to an end. We put to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit to prepare us for the work we're called to do. But the proclamation of the gospel is the work. The proclamation of the gospel is the work. It began with Christ. Newsflash. Spoiler alert. It continues with us. And it continues in word. It continues in deed. And today we're going to look at how it proceeds in character. It continues in character. The character of Christ is to be our character. Jesus said in John 5, 36, ah, The works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Really? Yeah. Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these he will do. Why? Because I am going to the Father. Because I am going to the Father. The work of Christ is to do the will of the Father, and this is the will of the Father, that of all he has given him, none should be lost. His will is that we make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things that Christ has commanded us. What do we call that? Great Commission. We are called to work out the salvation that Christ has already purchased for us. We are called to work out the salvation that Christ has purchased for us. He's now at work in heaven. We're at work in this world in his name and for his glory. That's what we're about. Please open to Philippians chapter 2. Paul is suffering for Christ's sake and for the sake of the Philippians, for both. He describes Christ's example who suffered for our sake. Paul imitates Christ's example. He encourages the Philippians to do the same. That's what's going on here. Now there are two men in the next generation who are following Paul's example. As he follows the example of Christ. So he speaks of Timothy, youngster, probably began his ministry at age 35, and of Epaphroditus. The personnel are changing, but not the work. The personnel are changing, but not the work. We sang about it this morning. Through the generations, the generations of the church. Now, the whole work doesn't belong to any one of us. Yay! <laughs> the whole work does not belong to any single one of us. But we each have our part to play. We each have our part to play. Paul did his part. Timothy did his. Epaphroditus did his. The church at Philippi, the church as a whole, did its part as well. We work out our salvation together. That's your takeaway from today. We work out our salvation together. We stand firm together. If you look at the bookmark that you, know, you were given, which is the series that we're going through, and you look at that, it says stand firm. What you can't see is that third word, together. <laughs> we're going to stand firm together. So please take that to heart. Let's begin with the example of Christ. Verse 1, chapter 2, verse 1. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, in Christ, 
any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, in the Spirit, why did Jesus have to go to the Father to send the Spirit? So if there's any comfort in that, any participation through that, any affection and sympathy, 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 it was a silent P. Sympathy, complete, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, and of one mind. Because of Christ, this says, we can have courage. Because of Christ, we can have courage. Because of his sacrificial love for us, we can take comfort. Because of his spirit living in us, we can participate in the divine nature. We no longer live, but Christ lives in us. Paul is laying down his life for the people of God as Christ did. Example following example. These believers should respond accordingly. Having this unity with Christ, they should have Christ's mind about the things of God. So should we. We should have Christ's mind about the things of God and show his love for one another. Paul is telling the Philippians they should display the oneness that they have in Christ. As Sonia prayed, we believers are one body and that body is Christ's. The body is Christ's. Hence, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The body is Christ's. It belongs to Him. Verse 3. Here's some things we can do. Or not do. <clears throat> do nothing. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, it's okay to do that, but also to the interests of others. You can do two things at the same time. Walk and chew gum. It is possible. Selfishness has no place in the body of Christ. Selfishness has no place in the body of Christ. If we're humble, we'll put the needs of others above our own as Christ did. Example following example. Yes, it's okay to take care of yourself and your interests, but take others into account too. Verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours, where? In Christ Jesus. Where is that mind to be found? In Christ Jesus. Where is his mind revealed? In the word of God. So, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in, he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He didn't consider it robbery but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. If we're in Christ, then we'll imitate his humble attitude. If we are in Christ, if we are united to Christ by faith, then we'll imitate his humble attitude. He was entitled to demand all the rights of the Son of God. But instead of that, he willingly set them aside. He emptied himself of them and became a servant of all. Instead of being visibly different from us and infinitely above us, he became visibly like us in our lowliest and most vulnerable estate. He had nowhere to lay his head. He had nothing. But he had God. He had his Father. He had the work. He had his Father's love. And he imparts all of that to us. Verse 8. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
So it's one thing to be sacrificial, but <laughs> come on, man, lay down my life. That's a bit extreme, isn't it? That's a bit zealous, isn't it? He humbled himself on our behalf by submitting entirely, entirely, holding nothing back, entirely to the will of the Father, above his own will, in order to fulfill the will of the Father. His life he considered not more precious than his or ours, and so he laid it down for us. He did not consider his life more precious than his or ours, and so he laid it down for us. Verse 9, Therefore God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Is that an unknown verse to you? <laughs> we sing it, we proclaim it, you hear it in almost every sermon. The outcome of wholly submitting to God, the outcome, the result of wholly submitting to God is being exalted by God. That's the outcome of it. The name of Jesus is, a placed, is placed above every name or position held by anyone on this earth. Above the wealthiest, above the most powerful, above the most famous. They will all, every single one of them, bend their knee to Christ on the day of his return. And confess to all, to everybody, but especially to themselves, that Jesus Christ is Lord. And the only Lord. And the only King. And the only Redeemer. Every tongue will do that. God has so exalted him that that day is guaranteed. <clears throat> now this will be to God's glory. Why? Because the Son set aside all his own desires and submitted himself to the will of the Father, even though it cost him his life. That's why the Father exalted him. Even though it meant being accursed by men and accursed by God for our sins and for our sakes. Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. These acts of Christ should produce in us, they ought to produce in us, I hope they produce in us, an affection and a sympathy for him. And for all those who suffer in his name. A lot of Christians are suffering around the world. A lot of Christians are putting their lives on the line for Christ. I hope you have love and sympathy for them, that you pray for them, to uphold them in prayer before the throne of God. If the Philippians have any such response to Christ, any of it, any of this, if they've got any of this, Paul says, and any such response to his own suffering, knowing what it is that he's going through, because they now have an eyewitness of what Paul has been going through, then Paul asks them to make his joy complete. How by being visibly one in Christ. You often see me hold up you know, my, my index finger, and that means Scripture from Genesis to Revelation is one thing. But it also means we are all one in Christ. No divisions, no breakups, no internal disputes. One. If they do that, if we will do that, then Christ will be glorified in them. If they do that, God will be glorified in them. Christ will be glorified in them. If we do that, Christ will be glorified in us. Think about that. As he is exalted by God, and because we are united to Christ by faith, we will be exalted with him. And as we exalt Christ, he is glorified in us. And so we glorify Christ. In glorifying Christ, Christ is glorified in us. Why? Because we're all one in Christ. 
So how do we exalt them? Paul says by looking to the interests of others, not just to our own interests. That's one way. That's one way you could do that. By letting go of our rights, as Christ did, that, that's another way you could do that. By being content. <laughs> now, wait a minute. Let's <laughs> not get personal. By being content and not questioning God. By being lights in the darkness, speaking the truth in the face of lies, and holding fast to God's word as both true and authoritative. We could do that. God's word was Jesus' defense against the devil's temptations in the desert, and it's our is our, is our defense as well. At all times, in all places, God's word is our defense. Christ is our defense. We don't have to defend ourselves. Christ is our defender. But we must be students of Scripture before we can wield that particular sword effectively. We must be students of Scriptures if we're going to wield that sword. If we are going to defend ourselves against all those outlandish accusations made against us. Christ never uttered a single word in his defense to all the accusations of Satan that did not come from the word of God. So must we. You can't do that if you're not familiar with it. Now comes Paul's example, which is being replicated at Philippi. At Philip. At Philippi. Verse 12. Verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation, the salvation you received. Work it out with fear and trembling. Why? Because it's God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You can celebrate because God's at work in you. As you do these things, God is at work at you. Visibly, you can see it. You can sense it. You should be encouraged by that, built up by that, knowing that God is doing that. That's not of yourselves. If you had your own way, you'd just go back to bed. But when God's at work with you, it, it, it's all kinds of things that you are capable of accomplishing. They have their salvation in Christ, but it needs to be worked out in their daily lives. It needs to be worked out in our daily lives. It needs to be part of their testimony of Christ to the world. The life they live is not their own, and so the life of Christ must be lived. If it's true that your life is not your own, and that Christ lives in you, then Christ's life is the one that must be lived. Too mystical, too theoretical, Bill. <laughs> I know it sounds that way, but it's not. It's really not. It must be worked out in the sight of God as well as men. And therefore, with fear and trembling, knowing the weight, knowing the weight of this responsibility. I think that's where most of us balk. Which that, that, that's really, that's, that's a step too far, a bridge too far. That's, that's a heavy weight to bear. I don't know that I can bear that weight to visibly demonstrate Christ to the world around me, that they might see Christ in me. I mean, who am I? Who was worthy of such things? Who's capable of such things? Well, God is at work in you. <laughs> and therefore, you are capable of such things. Knowing the weight of this responsibility, being aware of the holiness of God, being aware of the holiness of God, they must let their own holiness be seen among men. Therefore, be holy as your heavenly Father is holy. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That, that, that's like, uh, isn't that like, uh, you know, uh, figurative language? 
No. <laughs> Sorry, no. None. If necessary, then must let it be seen in opposition to the ways of men. And regardless of the backlash, and we all know about the cancellation culture that we're living in, there's going to be a backlash. As soon as you open up your mouth and say, Jesus, there is backlash. There was a guy on the streets of, uh, where was he? Tennessee. Uh, probably last week. And he was just going down the street proclaiming the gospel. Loud, okay, but he was proclaiming the gospel. Great gospel presentation. Somebody called 911. <laughs> called the cops on him. Three, three cop cars showed up. He said, you can't be doing that. He says, look, I know I can't use a bullhorn, but I'm just standing here preaching. No, no, no. What, 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 what volume? Give me a hint. What volume? What distance? And he said, well, if I can hear you from six feet away, what the cop said. <laughs> and the guy looked at him like, look, I'll, I'll be obedient. <laughs> he says, but really? Really? What country are we living in? And yet, and yet. So let it be seen in opposition to the ways of men, regardless of that sort of backlash. We do not fear men. We, we Christians do not fear men. Why not? <laughs> One more time. For God is at work in us to will what he wills and to do what he requires. But you got to do something. What's that? We must lay down our will just as Christ laid down his will in the garden. It was so hard for him, he sweat drops of blood. That's strenuous. That's committed. That's like serious. I don't think he did it figuratively. I don't think that's a figurative statement. That's an actual description of Christ in the garden. And it's just not enough to obey. It's not. It's not enough just to obey. We could all be, you know, obedient, right? And our heart never changes. We're just going to do what it is we're supposed to do, but we're still going to hold on to, you know, our way of doing things. Here's the problem. We must do it willingly. Where does it say that? Verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or questioning. Man, that you may be blameless and innocent. If you can do it without grumbling or questioning, you can do it blameless and be innocent. Children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and generous, twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. So that's where you got it from. Yeah, yeah, it's there. Holding fast to the word of life. So that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Can you make those words of Paul your words? That's what we do with the word of God. If I were to make those my words, I understand it's spoken to a particular person, a particular point in time, with a particular purpose for them in that day. Okay, But there are some things in scripture you can make your statements your aspirations, your desires of your heart, and to express it verbally, out loud even. Did I say that out loud? Yes! You can even say it out loud, as Paul's doing here. <clears throat> Grumbling about our lot in life is easy. <laughs> we all do it. We all whine and moan. Grumbling about our lot in life is easy. Questioning what others say, man, that's easy. Got any solutions? No, but yeah, what you're doing. Uh, give me an alternative. Well, I haven't thought about it. <laughs> Questioning is real easy to do. Going your own way is real easy to do. Well, you do what you want to do. You got your truth. I got mine. Going about our own way, that's easy. But doing what is required in submission to God 
as children of God, evidencing God at work in us, I'll tell you, it's hard. (laughs) It's hard to live blameless in a crooked and twisted generation like the one we're living in. It's hard. Admit it. Confront it. Acknowledge it. Accept it. It's going to be tough work. But as we do, as we do, we shine as lights in the darkness of this world. Hmm. So where do we begin? Well, it says here, by holding fast to the word of God. By holding fast to the word of God. Unless you're a student of God, it's really hard to wield the sword. Right? By holding fast to the word of God, to the word of life, proving that Christ did not lay down his life in vain. Nor did Paul, nor did any of those faithful believers who came before us. You know, I'm, I'm updating you know, the language of these old dead guys. <laughs> we all stand on the shoulders of giants, all those who came before us. I'm trying to make it fresh for a, for a new generation so that we understand what our heritage is and we can see that progression from generation to generation through the ages. God has always been faithful. The church will be victorious. Why? Because the church is Christ. Sorry, he can't be defeated. He's already won the war. We're just doing cleanup. <laughs> Taking possession of what he has won for us. Verse 17. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Interesting statement. To meet a Christian who is wholly submitted to Christ and who was led by the Spirit as Paul was, is to meet Christ in the flesh. Isn't it? Isn't it? To see them is to see Christ, isn't it? This is someone who has surrendered all his earthly rights, or all her earthly rights. Whatever the consequences may be, those consequences, Paul is saying here, should not be lamented. Celebrate them. <laughs> Paul, gone to prison. Way to go, man. You know, it's, uh, <laughs> celebrate him. Paul was glad to endure it on their behalf. He was glad to endure it on their behalf. And so he rejoiced in it. And then he asked them to rejoice in it with him. He already gave him three things that happened. Number one, he had a chance to talk to the royal guard. Number two, other people were stepping up to the plate. Number three, Christ was being proclaimed, good or bad. All positives. In today's language, you say, give me a high five. He was poured out like a drink offering on the sacrificial offering of their faith. Any of you uh, do cooking uh, and, and you've got something and you're searing it in the pan, okay? And then you take uh, a little bit of wine or you take uh, some broth and you pour it over the top and whoosh, all the steam comes up, right? And so all the stuff that was in the pan, even though it was aromatic to begin with, oh, do you smell it now? And it goes all through the house, right? Well, that's what it means to be poured out like a drink offering. It makes a sweet aroma. Our prayers are a sweet aroma. Our following of Christ is a sweet aroma. We are to be sweet aromas. Drink offerings poured out on everybody's sacrifice. That's why we celebrate when one another is sacrificing. That's why we support one another. That's why we rejoice with one another. That's why we cry with one another. 
And in doing that, in demonstrating our oneness in Christ, it's like pouring on that broth. And a sweet aroma goes up to God in our prayers. They were imitators of Paul and of Christ. In Romans 12, Paul put it like this, Present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. In other words, we are called to be an offering unto God. Bill, what's my calling? Your calling is to be an offering unto God. (laughs) That's your calling. Your calling is to follow Christ. That's your calling. You're called to be an offering to God as Christ was on the cross in the same way and to the same extent. That's why it says in Revelation, those of you who withstand, those of you who stand firm even to the point of death, shall receive the crown of life. Steadfastness. Perseverance of the saints. That's what it's talking about. But our sacrifice is presented to God in the here and now on a daily basis in three primary ways. First, in our holiness. That's a bit too close to pietism, Bill. No. No, no, it's not. No, we're not talking about trying to impress people with our, with our good behavior. right? We don't want to do that. But it's presented to God, this sacrifice is presented to God, this offering is presented to God in our own personal holiness. And in our spiritual worship, as we're doing here this morning, that's another way that we do that. And in our increasing sanctification, that there is progress from week to week, month to month, year to year, there's progress in our sanctification as we put to death the old man and as we bring to life the new man, which is ours in Christ Jesus. As we are conformed to Christ, we worship God and we make an offering to Him of our life. Next comes the example of Timothy, verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you, for I have no one like him. Unique. One of a kind. We have some of those sitting here. (laughs) Characters. (coughs) Who will be genuinely concerned for their welfare. For they all seek their own interests. Who? Those other folks. (laughs) Oh, no one in our congregation. But those other folks, you know, they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know, Timothy's proven worth. You know it. You know his proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served with me. Where? In the gospel. Uh, So he took a course on evangelism. No. 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 He's living the life of the gospel. Yes, you can proclaim it in words, but you also live it by your life. The gospel should be visible in you. The good news that Christ is your Lord and Savior, that you could not save yourself, but he laid down his life for you. It should should be evident in you. Paul refers back to verse 3 here. Affirming that Timothy will seek their interests and not just his own. And that makes him uh, different from others. (laughs) It's okay to be different this way. It's okay to be different. Christ-like. This generation is not familiar with this. Christ-likeness is a rarity. We want to make it normal in the church. Don't we? Isn't that our aspiration? Isn't that what we pledge ourselves to? To be more and more more conformed to Christ? Not of our own work. God's doing that in us. God is conforming us to the image of His Son. By His Spirit, He's doing that. He's transforming us and, and conforming us to the image of Christ that's being done in us. But it's not passive. 
It's not just passive. There are some things that you need to do. You can't be conformed to an image that you don't recognize, an image that you don't know. Be students of the Word of God. Know what Christ looks like. Know what He sounds like. Know what He thinks like. Otherwise, how in the world do you expect to be conformed to Him? It'll be done by the power of God at work in you, but there's got to be an image for you to be conformed to. And it's got to be clear in your head, clear in your heart as to what that image is. That's called an exhortation. I hope therefore, page, uh, this is uh, verse 23, I hope therefore to send him to you as soon as I can. Get him out of here. No, no. Uh, send him as soon as I can. As soon as I see how it's going to go with me. I need his help until I get this release that they, I think is in the offing. I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. In other words, I'll get his release from prison and be able to see them face to face. It's the longing of his heart is to see them face to face. That's why we show up here on a Sunday morning. I long every week to see you folks face to face, eyeball to eyeball, heart to heart. I long for that. We can do it over streaming, but it's not the same. It's not the same. We need to feel the touch of Christ. We need to hear the voice of Christ in one another. We need the warmth of Christ to experience it. Timothy was submissive to Paul because Paul was submissive to Christ, like a son to a father. Others might pursue their own interests instead of Christ, but Timothy would not. Go, man. How does Paul know? Because Timothy had proven himself in action. He was tested in the fires of adversity. I don't like adversity. I want a nice, smooth sail. And yet, how are you sanctified? I tell you that God's primary means of sanctification is through adversity is through trial, is through struggle. That's how we are conformed to the image of Christ. If you are clay, the image of Christ is a rock. Okay, and the clay is kind of soft, right? And then it is, whomph, slammed into the rock and reshaped <laughs> so that that image of the face of Christ shows up in the clay. Okay, that, that, that could be painful. Yeah, <laughs> it can be. It can also be a cause for celebration. That's what Paul is telling them. I'm being conformed to the image of Christ. When I got put here in prison, I'm being conformed to the image of Christ. It's, it's painful. It's painful for me not to be with you. But it's worth it. It's worth it. So rejoice with me, Paul says. Imagine a football team. Timothy was being tested by adversity, tested in the fires of adversity, practicing his faith, exercising his faith, Paul was exercising his faith by looking at his prison, his prison term differently than most folks would look at it. That's exercising his faith. I have every confidence that God has a purpose for this. And so I'm willing to put up with it. More than that, I'm, I'm, in, I'm, in, I'm enthusiastic about embracing it. Does that make sense? may not, but this is the life of the Christian. is to embrace these things and to exercise our faith, saying, God has done this. Nobody faked him out. Satan didn't do an end run. This is not outside of God's will. Therefore, I can embrace it. And it's going to hurt. And yet, I'm willing. Because I know it's from God. And I know that it's for a purpose. Imagine a football team, returning to our opening scene of football conflict. Imagine a football team that doesn't practice during the week. <laughs> yes, it's kind of a metaphor, you know, 
doesn't practice during the week, but he expects to be victorious on Sunday. Great. Timothy practiced his faith in the sight of others. He exercised his faith in the midst of adversity. He was purified in its fires as the dross was burned off, and that hurts. It's a necessary part of our Christian walk, as we, song, as we sang about before I came up. It's a necessary part of our Christian walk. And it's seldom quick, sorry. And it's seldom short term, sorry. Gird your loins for the daily battle. <laughs> Why? If you intend to grow in Christ and your prayers are, Lord God, I wish to grow in the grace and in the knowledge of my Lord Jesus Christ, that's my prayer. God will bring you adversity to help you along. <laughs> it's like praying for patience, right? And, and yet, and yet, if it's not tested against tough stuff, how do you know how good it is? How do you know how strong it is? How do you know how vibrant it is? How do you know that your strength is from God and not from yourself? How else would you know unless you're tested? Because draw back to public schools these days, they're doing away with testing. Everybody gets a trophy, everybody gets an award, everybody passes. No testing. No being brought up short. No, no encouragement. Gee, I'd better get my nose to the grindstone. I'd better do better here. I'd better you know, study more. I'd better study harder. I'd better be... The walk of Christ is a difficult walk. That's why he says, if you would, if you want to, if that's your wish, if that's your desire, well then, by golly, take up your cross and follow me. I'd like to follow you without the cross. <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't do that. Can't do that. Take up your cross and follow me. Oh. That's going to be like a hard path to walk. Yeah. Yep. 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 Be realists. That's realistic. Not Pollyanna. Not a fairy tale. That's the truth. Gird your loins for the daily battle. God is preparing you to be a vessel for his use. Do not pray to be used of God if you, not, if you have not first prayed to be made usable. Why? Won't do any good. <laughs> Makes sense, right? I've done. I've got this clay, okay, and I haven't put it in a furnace yet, okay, but I've fashioned this clay into a, into a cup, okay, and I'm going to pour my coffee into it without it being fired in the furnace. Pray first to be made usable and follow it quickly with, and now, Lord God, use me. I am willing. You have made me able. Let me be used. He is strengthening you to be a faithful witness. God is doing that in your life as a Christian. He does that in the life of every Christian. He is strengthening you to be a faithful witness. Every adversity is purposeful to these ends. Every adversity is purposeful to these ends. That you might be a faithful witness. That you might be a sound vessel. A healthy vessel for His use. Every adversity has that purpose in mind. Verse 25. 
Finally comes the example of Epaphroditus, verse 25. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need, for he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. He's upset that they thought that he was sick. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also. Lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow, I am the more eager to send him. Therefore, why? That you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So, do him and me a favor. Yeah, that was an add-on. So, receive him in the Lord with all joy. Epaphroditus, welcome back. Epaphroditus, we are so glad to see you. And honor such men, not just these two men, not just Epaphroditus, but every worthy example of Christ. Honor them. We have a missionary from Uganda in our audience this morning. Honor him. He's laboring at the very gates of hell. He needs support. He needs prayer. He needs encouragement. Taya. Laboring at the very gates of hell needs support and encouragement and prayer. Honor them. Paul isn't saying here that this church somehow let him down. See that last one? For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. What? What? Paul isn't saying here that this church somehow let him down. He's saying that they couldn't all come to him in prison. Not enough room in that little late by itself. But Epaphroditus could. But Epaphroditus could. He went as the representative to Paul and as Christ's representative to Paul. Epaphroditus put himself in harm's way on their behalf to bring a gift from them to Paul. Why? So that the work, so that the work might continue even in prison. What Epaphroditus did, he did in the name of the Philippians and also in the name of Christ. And that sacrifice was to his honor. He was to be honored for that. It's to our honor too when we make such sacrifices. Like what? (laughs) Uh, Difficult stuff. Stuff that's extraordinary. Working in a sound booth. Cleaning the church. Taking care of the babies. They don't have to be extraordinary feats. They just have to be faithful. So we've seen a progression of workers from Christ to Paul to Timothy to Epaphroditus. The example, the life, and the way of Christ was replicated in each of these three men. They learned Christ. Ephesians 4.20 Meaning they lived Christ. They learned Christ by living Christ. As Paul put it for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. What we started with. We've also seen the persistent workload. The work doesn't end. Work won't end until he comes back. Work doesn't end. Paul set his mind on things above, not on things below. That's what Paul was doing. That's what we need to do. His life was hidden with Christ in God. His life was hidden with God in Christ. It's Colossians 3, 2 and 3. He taught Christ publicly and from house to house, keeping nothing back that was helpful. Acts 20.20 He didn't shrink back from declaring the whole counsel of God. Acts 20.27 This was Paul's life's work. 
Paul was Christ's vessel to carry his name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Acts 9.15 He did the work of Christ. And it's our work as well. As we stand firm together, each of us doing our part. Let's go a little deeper. I I want to focus on verses 2 and 5. I'll try to do this quickly. That we should be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, having this mind among ourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Remember, I read all this already. Not in his godhood, but in his humanity. Not in his godhood. You can't imitate that. But in his humanity. That's why you came, so you could. Paul is speaking of our union with Christ, through whom, by whom, and for whom we live. We Christians here on earth are the mystical body of Christ. Famous phrase. You'll hear from John Flavel, you hear from John Owen, all dead guys. You heard it here today, not dead. Yes, 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 we are Christ's representatives, but we are also his representation. We are his representatives, his ambassadors, but we are also his representation. This too is part of our work. This is the character part of it. It must be part of our mindset, of our lifestyle. So let me explain what I mean by that. No one may see the face of God and live, right? Moses said, show me your face. And God said, ain't going to happen. I'll put you in the cleft of the rock. And after I walk by, you can see me from behind. That's as close as you'll get. Otherwise, you'll die. So God sent his only son that we might see God face to face. So God sent his only son that we might see God face to face. That we might hear his words spoken directly and thereby live. And thereby live. His words are spirit and they are life. John 6, 63. Jesus said to Philip and the others, whoever has seen me has seen the father. Okay, so that's not an interpretation. That's a fact. When Christ ascended to the right hand of God, the world could no longer see or hear Christ. And so the Spirit of God was sent by the Father and by the Son at Pentecost to abide in His people, that the world might see Christ in us. The Spirit of God was sent by God the Father and God the Son at Pentecost to abide in His people, that the world might see Christ in us. We are the visible proof of His resurrection. Unless Christ went away, unless he rose bodily to the Father, the Helper, the Spirit of God, would not have been sent to convict the world of sin and to guide us believers into all truth. That wouldn't happen. The Spirit glorifies Christ in us. That was Christ's promise in John 16, 7 through 16. It's on the bottom of your handout. You should go back home and read that this afternoon. George Bowen, a missionary to India in the late 1800s, put it this way. It is the vocation of every believer in every generation to afford in his own person the evidence that Christ is risen. Are you a Christian? You are one whom Christ has chosen to convey to men the proof that he is risen. This is your vocation. This is your calling. At that day, quoting from John 14, 20, at that day you shall know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. Not figurative, literal, Factual. 
As I said, we're the mystical body of Christ in this world, his visible bride. And yet so often the work of Christ is more like a sideline, a hobby for us. It's not our life's work. This is when we find ourselves sitting in the stands instead of being on the field of play. Bowen describes how we can be very busy, very busy, even in the church, very busy, doing religious things and yet not be very productive for the kingdom. He was speaking of himself. This was his own lament from one of his letters. It's his own lament. It was his own lack of fruitfulness. He's in India. He's been there for years and he's got nothing to show for it. And he writes this. The great tendency is to slip into a routine of duties in which our time is filled up with work and our convenience accordingly satisfied. And and we persevere in this, throwing the responsibility results upon God. Well, it's up to you, Lord. I did my part. Get to work. But I read this. He says, but I read this. I read this in the word of God. You are the branches. You are the branches. Our business is to bring forth the fruit. We will do it just according as we are united to Christ. If there is no fruit or little fruit, it is evident there is little of Christ in us. Ow, 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 ow. Fruitlessness, fruitlessness is the unequivocal, the unequivocal, is the undeniable voice of God (laughs) bidding us attend, attend to your union with Christ. Attend to your union with Christ. Paul is exhorting and encouraging the Philippians to attend to their union with Christ, to let Christ be seen in them. He's exhorting and encouraging us in our own day to do the same and to be of one mind with Christ. We are branches united to the vine. We bear the seeds of Christ in the fruits of His Spirit. We bear the seeds of Christ Himself in the fruits of His Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Memory verse. We become meek over time. We become meek, long-suffering, unworldly, contented, forgiving, and contrite. We let go of our rights and privileges as Christ did. We not only show the fruit of His Spirit, but we proclaim the gospel of His salvation because that's who we are. That's who we are. These are the attributes of Christ and they are evidences that He lives in us. And so we exhort each other to stand firm in the faith and do our part. We stand firm against the tides of cultural change. A lot of those going on. The forces of evil, a lot of that going on. And the adversity which God brings to us, and there's a lot of that going on. We challenge each other, but we also rest in the fact that we're called to stand firm together in Christ, as the body of Christ. We'll close with this. Whenever we exhort one another to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ, we're not dumping a guilt trip on each other. I'm not trying to dump a guilt trip on you this morning. Instead, we're holding out a helping hand and saying, come. Let us worship Christ together. Let us grow in Christ together. Let us fellowship in Christ together. For truly our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. One more time. You're not alone in this battle. We're all doing the work of Christ together. Each of us doing our part. Working out our own salvation in fear and trembling. Contending for the faith. That's Jude 1.3. We don't quote that very often. That's Jude 1.3. Contending for the faith. The load is easier. The work is easier. 
because we're standing firm together in Christ to the glory of God. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you that we have this body of Christ. This one here at Hope Chapel, just a part. We here, Hope Chapel, doing our part among all the churches that you have called, all the believers that you have summoned, in all the ages that have been, in all the ages that are to come. We pray, Lord God, that you might make us usable, that we might be used of you, that this world might see Christ in us. For although we may fail at times, although we may stumble and fall at times, your church shall not. Your church will remain victorious in every age until he comes again. We thank you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.